But to what will I compare this generation? Jesus said. It is like a child sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus also said, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the gospel of the Lord. Amadeo was a deadbeat dad with a drinking problem, no job, and still lived at home with his mom at 33. He's the protagonist in Kristen Valdez Quaid's book, The Five Wounds. It's a fictional story about a three-generation Mexican-American family living in a small town in New Mexico. One day, Amadeo's 15-year-old daughter shows up on his doorstep eight months pregnant. This was bad timing for Amadeo, who's trying to get his life together, if even haphazardly. He joined the local Catholic Brotherhood, and he was about to play Jesus in the town's Passion Parade. He marched through the streets, carrying the cross just like Jesus, with nails even going through his hands. He thought that this act would atone for all his sins and he would put his life in the right order. The rest of the story is about Amadeo trying to be the man that he so desperately wants to be for his daughter, his new grandson, his mom, and even himself. There's a part in the story where you think things might take a turn for Amadeo. He stopped drinking. He's even got his own business, kinda, repairing cracked windshields. After a few weeks of passing out flyers that his daughter made, he got his first job. His mother's boss, a big shot in town who drives an expensive BMW. He thought this is the moment that would change everything. If I could just fix this windshield, everyone would come to me for work. I'd be able to support my daughter and my grandson. My mom would be so proud. And then, like a train wreck that you can't put down, the story unravels in spectacular fashion. Amadeo pours too much resin on the windshield. 
It begins oozing all down the hood of the car. He runs to grab a paper towel, and as he tries to wipe it off, he presses too hard on the windshield, cracking it all the more. To make matters worse, as he tried to wipe it all away, debris from the paper towel is stuck all over the windshield. You can't even see into the car. The windshield is ruined. Resin is stuck to the hood of the car. Amadeo is in full panic. He has no idea how to fix it. He can't afford to have someone else fix it. And instead of confessing to his mistake, he runs as fast as he can away from all of it, finds the nearest bar that's open at 10 a.m. and begins to drink leaving his mother to once again face the consequences of his mistakes. In the midst of all of this, Quaid, the author, writes, in Amadeo's mind, his crime balloons to fit his shame. He can never catch a break. He can never dig himself out of the hole he was born into, even though he tries. He was supposed to be past the shame and failure and the mistakes that hardly seemed to be his own, and that unravel beyond his control. I won't give the ending away, because it's a story that I think you should read. Amadeo is a hard character to like. I found myself throughout the whole novel constantly thinking, why can't you just get yourself together and do what you know is right and good? Maybe you've thought that. Then, while reading Romans 7, which we heard this morning, I was reminded harshly that I too am just like Amadeo. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I desire so desperately what is right, but I cannot do it, not even for the life of me. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do is what I do. Don't we all have that inner struggle? of wanting to do one thing and yet somehow doing the opposite. You want to be a better friend, a better spouse, a better parent, a better son or daughter, a better neighbor. You don't want to lose your temper or down that drink or take that pill or go to that website. You want to stand up for justice, to speak out against racism. You want to read your Bible more or pray more and yet somehow... We do the very thing we didn't want to do. Not a night goes by where I don't think to myself, tomorrow is the day. Tomorrow I will be more patient when Clive screams in his car seat. Tomorrow is the day I'll eat better and I'll walk more. Tomorrow I'll call that friend. I'll be a better husband, a better pastor, a better Christian. I'll do the good that I desperately want to do. And without fail, 
I wake up the next day and I often do the opposite of what I wanted. It's exhausting, is it not? To try and fail, try and fail, piling on more guilt and shame atop of the already crushing load you carry. And if that's you this morning, like it is me, if you are tired and weary and struggling with your own disappointment, I want you to hear Jesus' invitation to you. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus takes our sin, our heavy loads, all the guilt we shoulder, and bears them on the cross, putting to death what we could not. In exchange, Jesus says, take my yoke. That's my teaching, my forgiveness, my grace, and I want you to learn from me. I know you want to live differently. Let me show you how. More than that, I'll empower you so that you can do the good that you desperately want to do. And when you mess up, when you don't get it right, don't fear and don't despair. Rather, hear my invitation again. For I'm gentle and I'm humble at heart. And you'll find rest for your soul through me. That's the invitation this morning. But, but wait, you might say, doesn't Paul say that it's not me? I'm not the problem. It's the sin that dwells in me. I'm not the one to blame. It's just how I am. Well, friends, it'd be real easy if that's what Paul meant. But this is not a biblical precedent to say that's just how I am. It's not that easy. Paul also writes, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I, I want to be clear, one's flesh is not the same as one's body. There's enough bad theology out there that says your bodies, our bodies are bad, and that's not true. Our bodies are good and holy made and created by God. Flesh, though, according to Paul, is something entirely different. It dwells within us. It's those desires that go against the good that we know, causing that inner struggle we're all too familiar with. It's only by the forgiveness and grace of God that we are no longer enslaved to that flesh. Perhaps some of you are wondering this morning, is this invitation for me? Maybe my burden isn't heavy enough or I've not tried enough. Notice that Jesus gives no qualifiers on weary or carrying heavy burdens. He gives no further description, no criteria to be met. He doesn't say you have to be this tired or your burden needs to weigh this much or that you have had to carry it for this long. None of that. 
Jesus simply says, you who are tired, weary, carrying a heavy load, come to me. All of you. No one is excluded. No amount of people could be too many. Lastly, you might ask how. How do I respond? How do I come to Jesus? First, I'd say if you're asking the question, the Holy Spirit is already at work in you. Second, in our cries for forgiveness and our laments for help, in our coming to this very table, we are responding to the invitation. Lastly, perhaps it's not so much about us coming to Jesus as it is Jesus coming to us. As one theologian, Soren Kierkegaard, puts it, Jesus does not merely stand and wait. He goes to seek the sinner as the shepherd sought the straight sheep or the woman sought the lost penny. He has walked infinitely farther, though, than any shepherd and any woman. He walked the infinitely long way from being God to becoming a person. And he walked all that way in order to seek us. So don't stand still. Don't hesitate. Even if it seems as if you could not succeed in taking one more step, you could not keep on one moment longer without collapsing, come. Yet if there is someone so sorrowful that they cannot come one step farther, a sigh is enough. Sighing for Jesus is the same as drawing near. And so this morning, hear and heed the invitation. Whether you run, walk, crawl, or sigh, come to me, all of you, and I will give you rest. Amen.